God will bless you in it. Uh, amen. Thank God. God is good. Let's go to the book of Exodus in the Word of the Lord tonight. In Exodus chapter 30. In Exodus chapter 30. When we study the tabernacle, we are studying the grandfather clause of all spiritual revelation. Because it is a type and a shadow of that which is to come. It's a type, first of all, of the heavenly tabernacle, the true tabernacle, which is above. Secondarily, it is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself in His finished work and in His person. And thirdly, it is a type of the church. So it's a type of us as well. So tonight we are going to look at the labor water basin. We studied the altar last Wednesday. We did not finish the lesson because you can't finish the lesson on the altar. It goes on and on and on. But remember the altar speaks of repentance. It speaks of Jesus' death on the cross. It speaks to us of our repentance. That's why there were staves in that altar. They carried that altar around where they went. Everywhere they went. And that is depicting the need for repentance to be preached to the whole world. We come to the labor water basin tonight and that pre preaches to us and teaches us the importance of baptism. Say baptism. Baptism and also the washing of the water of the Word. So we will look at that tonight. Very, very awesome teaching on the labor. Exodus chapter 30. Please turn there in the Word of the Lord. Beginning with verse 17. Well, praise the Lord. We need to be in more prayer than we've ever been before. <laughs> with the elections that we have had, um, I will say this, that we now know who the future beast leader of our nation will be. Um, in fact, all world leaders who are elected are seen in the Scripture, the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation, are seen as beasts, beast leaders, beast kings over beast kingdoms. It really doesn't matter in an ultimate sense who is elected. But I will tell you this, that based on the election that we've had recently, it is very important for the church to begin to pray like we've never prayed before. Are y'all with me here today? Amen. I believe that the church is in danger from beast power. But the church has always been persecuted by the beast. So we need to pray like we've never prayed before, seek the mind of God as to what His will is in this hour. I am thankful to tell you that the Lamb of God is the one who defeats all those ferocious beasts. So as long as we are walking... In relationship with the Lamb of God, we need not fear any man. Praise the Lord. So God bless your heart. Good to see each and every one of you tonight. If you are in Exodus chapter 30, verse 17, say, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Thou shalt also make a laver of brass, and his foot also of brass, to wash with all, Thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, and thou shalt put water 
therein. For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet thereat. When they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water that they die not. Or when they come near to the altar to minister, to burn offering made by fire unto the Lord. So they shall wash their hands and their feet that they die not. And it shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his seed throughout their generations. Let's go to Exodus 38 and verse 8. It tells us there what the labor was made of, where the materials came from. Exodus 38 and verse 8. And he made the laver of brass and the foot of it of brass of the looking glasses of the women assembling which assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. The Septuagint says that these looking glasses that came from the women, these women were not just any women. These women were women who prayed and fasted. Prayed and fasted. That's what the Septuagint says. So now we determine where the material came from. It came from the looking glasses of the women. Say praise the Lord. Lord. Exodus chapter 40. And verse 7. Thou shalt set the labor between the tent of the congregation and the altar and shalt put water therein. Let's pray. Father, we thank You right now for Your goodness and Your mercy and Your grace. We ask, Father, for Your anointing and Your inspiration tonight upon us as we seek to declare Your Word and glorify You in everything that we do and everything that we say. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. Brother Thurman, i got a little bit of a thump. Okay? Praise God. God is good. Now, the first thing I would like to do is I would like for Brother Bloss to play a brief um, video of the labor. I'll turn the lights off so you can see that. You can see how, it's, how it was made and how it comes together. This is a Hebrew depiction of the laver itself. Looks a little bit different than the picture that I have here. See the spigots or the spouts at the bottom of the laver. All right, that is probably a more accurate picture of the laver than this depiction here. In the sense that the laver on that illustration has spigots coming out of the side. It is highly unlikely when they made the laver that the priests would go and wash in the laver. The Bible says they washed at the laver. It doesn't say they washed in the laver. Had they washed in the laver itself, then that water would immediately have been contaminated. 
by either the ashes that was on their hands and feet or the blood that was on their hands and feet, it would have polluted that water and contaminated that water instantly. So it is highly likely that the labor looks something like that with the spigots coming out of the sides so that the water would flow out of that laver and they would wash their hands and feet as it flowed or as it was living water. Now, I do not agree though that the base there, the pedestal, as they have it here, looked like that. Alright? The word that is used to depict the bottom part of the laver basically means a bowl type shaped thing. So I believe that instead of a pedestal like this, that there was also at the bottom maybe something similar to this, except it would have caught the water at the base so they could wash their feet with. Okay, So to give you an idea as to what the labor possibly looked like. Now, the reason why we're not sure what the labor exactly looked like is because in the Bible... It does not tell you. The other pieces of the furniture in the tabernacle have specific dimensions to it. A specific side. A size. The other pieces of furniture, it tells you basically what they look like. But when we come to this brass laver, all we have is the fact that it is a laver. That it's a bowl that held water inside of it. It does not give us the size of the laver. And there's a reason for that. Are y'all here tonight? Nor does it tell us what it looked like. And that's all in the plan of God. Also, unlike the rest of the pieces of furniture, in Numbers chapter 4, we are told in Numbers 4 how they were carried through the wilderness. The other pieces of furniture. And we are told how they were covered. The labor, however, notice does not have staves running through its side like the other pieces of furniture. So we don't even know how they transported the laver. Not only that, but this laver is the only piece of furniture that the Bible does not tell us that it was covered. And the reason for that is this, is that the cleansing that God offers us is always available to whomsoever will. So it is never told, it was never said that it was covered. It's always available to whosoever will. I believe that's probably why in Numbers 4 it it is not uh, said to be covered. Again, the Bible doesn't tell us the size of that labor because I believe it's teaching you that the power of God's cleansing water is limitless. So don't put a number on it. Don't put a size on it. Because you cannot limit the power of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. Say amen. So look in your Bibles again in uh, Exodus chapter 30. And we will see the Lord speaking unto Moses. And you'll notice there are no dimensions given. Thou shalt also make a laver of brass with his foot, also a brass, to wash withal. Thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar. Thou shalt put water therein. So now, 
Not only does he not tell us what the size of it is, but he does tell us where the location will be. So, Brother Bloss, if you can bring that up possibly and show us uh, that this is a picture again once of it. Can you take us to the, the interaction aspect of it? Let him bring that picture up for you so you'll see. While he's doing that, remember that the person was led around those linen hangings of the tabernacle to the gate, this beautiful gate. And they entered through that gate. It speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ in the four Gospels. And they would walk through that gate. And the first piece of furniture that they would see was the altar, which we preached on last uh, Wednesday night. Now, as Brother Bloss brings it around, you will see, I'll just walk over here, that on the other side of the altar, in between the altar and the tabernacle itself, was stationed that laver right there. So two pieces of furniture in the outer enclosure, two pieces of furniture in the outer court, the brass altar and the brass laver. The first one, repentance. The second one is the labor for cleansing of the priesthood. Do you see that there, the location? Alright, say praise the Lord. Okay, let's go over to Exodus 38 and verse 8. And while you're turning there, I will tell you that each one of these pieces of furniture were bleeding spots on the body of Jesus Christ. So when He's hanging on the cross, He bled in His head, He bled in His two hands, He bled in His side, He bled in His two feet. Okay? So as we go through the tabernacle, you will see Jesus hanging on the cross. His feet would be on the altar. That's where His feet were nailed. Now the laver corresponds with His side. Out of His side flowed blood and water. Say praise the Lord. So that labor corresponds with his bleeding side. When we move into the tabernacle, you got one hand over the table of showbread. You got another hand over the, um, the menorah. Okay. His heart is connected with the altar of incense. His heart was broken. And then his head is in the holy of holies. So we see Jesus hanging on the cross in the tabernacle. These are the bleeding spots of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Isn't God good to us? In Exodus chapter 38 and verse 8, the Bible said He made the laver of brass and the foot of it of the brass of the looking glasses of the women assembling, which assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So now we know where the brass came from. It came from the reflective devices of the women. Say with me, the reflective devices of the women. So that that labor, as the preach approached the labor, became a reflective device for him. So that he could see all the spots, all the blemishes, anything that was dirty on him. He could see that in the reflective device of the labor. Does that make sense to you? Now, the women gave their polished brass mirrors. They weren't glass, they were polished brass. They brought them to Moses and said, or gave them to their husbands and said, give this to Moses so he can make the labor. And uh, the reason why they did that was because they were willing, because of their love of God, to give up something that would be very dear to the heart of a woman. 
and that is outward beauty. Say amen. It takes a lot for a woman to give up her mirror. Outward, you know, being concerned about her outward appearance all the time. Are you here tonight? It takes a lot for a woman to give up that looking glass. And I'm not saying that God doesn't want you well kept. Amen? But what I'm saying is typically here. It took a lot for those women to give up the reflective devices that they would focus on their outward appearance with in order for God to have a labor that would reflect the approaching priest. So what we have in the Scripture is this. We have earthly beauty is given up for heavenly holiness. And the only way a woman will be willing to give up so-called, so-called earthly beauty for heavenly holiness is if that woman loves God with all of her heart. Say praise the Lord. These women love God with all of their heart. He was not first place in their life. He was their life. And some people may look at you women and they may say, well, y'all, you need a little bit of stuff on your face to make you beautiful, to make you pretty. Well, my response to that and your response to that is this. You're pretty anyway. Just tell them I'm pretty. I don't need all that outward stuff that y'all wear. Say amen. Why? Because you have the glory of God on your face. And if you got the glory of God on your face, you don't need an artificial cosmetic thing on the outside. Because God beautifies you with salvation. And those women understood holiness unto God. And they loved God. And because God was their life, they were willing to give up that earthly beauty for heavenly holiness. Let's go to First Peter chapter 3. Now some of you ladies... It was a hard thing for you to do, wasn't it? For you to give up all that cosmetic stuff. Say praise the Lord. Because you didn't need that cosmic queen stuff. You didn't need the counterfeit beautiful beautification. Because you have spiritual beautification from God. I thank God for that. Now, my wife... I'm glad I have never one time ever seen any makeup on her. Praise the Lord. And when I came to the church at 18 years of age, and later on got married at 23, my wife didn't need the cosmetics to get me. Praise the Lord. I wouldn't know what to do if she put any of that stuff on her face. Hallelujah. I think she's beautiful, more beautiful than you can ever imagine because she has God upon her. And when you come in the church of the living God, God will beautify you. You don't need that cosmic stuff. Praise the Lord. And some of you young ladies may not understand why we don't do that. Because we don't need it. You're more beautiful without it than you are with it. Say praise the Lord. So these women, they had to give up that. Or they wanted to. Give up that earthly beauty for heavenly holiness. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 3. Let's go over there. Well, I'm already having a good time in the name of the Lord. Verse 
First Peter chapter three, verse three. If you're if you're there, say amen. amen. We're going to have a good time tonight. Are you there? This is an example. Who's adorning? Let it not be that outward adorning of the plating of the hair. Now the plating of the hair was an elaborate intertwining of all kinds of ribbons and gold and silver and everything else into the hair of a woman. And in that day sometimes they would build up big old temples on top of their heads. They'd walk around with a big old temple on the top of their head. Are you here today? And they had gold and beads and silver and cords and everything else wrapped around in that thing. I'm surprised they didn't strangle themselves. That's what the word plating means. It means that intertwining or interweaving of a lot of those materials into the hair. So he says, who's adorning? Let it not be that outward adorning of the plating of the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel. He said, don't focus on the outwards. Amen? God doesn't focus on the outwards. God focuses on the inward. You can try to beautify yourself on the outside, but what is important to God is what is on the inside of you. Say, praise the Lord. So he goes on and he says, but let it be what? The hidden man of the hearts in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament, say ornament, of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God's great price. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also, who trusted in God, say the holy women, who trusted in God, adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as you do well, and not afraid with any amazement. It says, don't worry about trying to fit in to the fashions of the world. Amen. Be concerned about the inside, because God is concerned about the inside. That you have a meek, and you have a quiet spirit. It's not the outwards that should be the focus or the attention. You see, you can have all of that. You can try to put on an outward apparel and try to be beautiful on the outside. And again, I'm telling you, ugliness is not holiness. But there is biblical guidelines for the way we're supposed to dress if we are women of God in the church. And that is one of them right there. And those women said, I'm willing to lay down the reflective device that, look, that I would look in that mirror in and be occupied and be preoccupied with all the time. I'm going to lay that down to serve God because I know God is concerned about what's on the inside of me, not what's on the outside of me. Say praise the Lord in this house. Somebody said, well, we need all the help we can get. Not if you've got God. God's got His glory on your face. Somebody said, well, you paint barns and houses. Why don't you paint your women? Well, barns and houses don't, are not alive. Barns and houses are dead. You paint dead things. You don't paint living things. You paint dead things. Say praise the Lord. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Now, I, you might not like what I'm saying, but I'm still going to preach it to you. Hallelujah in the name of Jesus. 
You don't need that stuff. You don't need to be a Vashti. You don't need to be the harlot riding on the back of a scarlet colored beast. God beautifies His women with what? His glory. With salvation. So these women brought their looking glasses, reflective devices, and gave them uh, to Moses through their husbands so that they would demonstrate their love for God above everything. Say amen to that. Are you glad tonight for that? Are you glad to be a woman of God? These women were dedicated to God. They were committed to God. As I said, the Septuagint said they prayed and fasted. These women were consecrated women. These women were holy women. These women were women of prayer. They were women of fasting. They loved God. And they said, God, we love you so much that we want to minister to this tabernacle. We want to minister to Jesus, this tabernacle. We want to bring our polished brass mirrors to the Lord so it can be a reflective device for the priest to see their blotches upon their bodies. Say amen. Give the Lord praise in the house. Now ultimately, what was the purpose of that labor? Let's go over to Exodus 29. Back up a few uh, pages maybe in your Bible. And we've already found out that the priests, Aaron and the priests, were to wash at the labor their hands and their feet. That they die not. See? You could not go into the presence of God and be polluted. Amen. God didn't want you polluted coming into His presence. So He said, you make sure that you are cleansed before you come into My presence. The first thing is repentance. The second thing is that you are washed before you come into the presence of God. Now, Exodus 29, there are two aspects of this labor. First of all, it speaks of baptism. Secondarily, it speaks of the water of the washing of the Word. So let's go to Exodus 29, please. Are you in church tonight? And verse 4, And Aaron and his sons thou shalt bring unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and shall wash them with water. Did you see that? Who's going to be washed with water? Aaron and his sons. Where at? They're going to bring them to the tabernacle door of the congregation and shall wash them with water. This was done once in their life. And it was never repeated again after they did it this one time. So you're going to see a difference here. What they would do, the Mishnah tells us, and the, the, the Jewish Talmud says, is that they took the priest, they pitched a linen booth before the tabernacle door. They got water out of that laver. They went and they cleansed that priest from head to toe. Every part of his body, from the top of his head all the way down to his feet, was completely washed in water. And that speaks of baptism. Once they washed those priests from head to toe, they never pitched the tent again and washed them that way again. Are you here today? That speaks of baptism. Once you're baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and have all your sins washed away, there is no need for you to ever repeat that again in your life. 
My mentor's uh, wife, Sister Edmonds, before she went on to be with the Lord, they said their testimony was that she was baptized in every church that she went to. In every denomination that she was a part of, she got baptized to be a part of that group. But when she got baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of all of her sins, she never was baptized ever again because there was never a need to be baptized again because she did it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ according to Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. So they took those priests, pitched that booth, and washed them head to toe at the age of 30 as they were fixing to enter into the priesthood. In Exodus chapter 30, the Bible tells us that we have a different aspect of the labor. They are to wash, verse 25, and thou shalt receive them of their hands. Okay, I'm, I'm reading the wrong. That's 29. Let me go to 30. Okay, verse 19. And Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet thereat. When they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water that they die not, or when they come near to the altar to minister to burn offering made by fire unto the Lord. Now, this is different. Because this is done on a daily basis. In Exodus 29 and verse 4, the first one was never repeated. It was done at the beginning of the priest's ministry. This one, the washing of the hands and the feet, speak of the washing of the Word of God. And it is to be done every day of our lives. Because as you travel in this world, you're going to get defiled. You're going to get dirt on your feet, dirt on your hands, spiritually speaking. And so you need the Word of God. And when you come to church tonight, you are being cleansed. You've already been baptized in Jesus' name. One time. You don't need to repeat that. But tonight, you need to come into this house. And as I preach the Word of God, it's going to cleanse you. It's going to remove all that defilement that you picked up in the world. Your hands and your feet are dirty. Praise God. And you need to be cleansed on a daily basis, and so do I. So the priest had to cleanse on a daily basis their hands and their feet. Let's go to the book of John. Now let's look at Acts chapter 2, verse 38. We'll parallel the first uh, washing of Exodus 29.4. Give you New Testament Scripture for what I'm saying. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. If you're there, say praise the Lord. Then Peter said unto them, Repent, that's the altar, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. There is that uh, first washing that the priest would have experienced, that you experience in your life. Now let's go over to the book of Titus. Titus speaks of baptism as well. In Titus 3 and verse 5. Titus 3 and 5, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. 
That word washing of regeneration is translated in some text as the washing of the laver. So that you will exactly know when Paul makes that statement to Titus that he's talking back about and pointing back to that labor in the Old Testament. That what they did at that labor is the same thing that you and I do when we are washed. The washing of regeneration. The washing of the labor. That, it, that happens at your baptism. You understand that? Okay, let's go to John 15. And there are other Scriptures in the Word of the Lord that deal with the Word of God cleansing us. In John 15. We have reference to the Word of the Lord. And this would apply to the hands and the feet of the priest being washed daily. You understand the difference? So we're now looking at John 15. Verse 3. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. And Ephesians also talks about the washing of the water by the word. So when we come to the aspect of Exodus chapter 30 where the priest is washing hand and feet, that has to do with your daily cleansing by the Word of God. Amen. After you're baptized in Jesus' name. Now notice what also he says in verse 4. He said, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, so more, uh, no more can you except you abide in me. I am the vine, you're the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, Without me, you can do nothing. Now notice the context of being clean. It's the context of the vine. Do you know that they literally took the grapevine, they lifted it out of the dust of the grounds, and they washed it with soap and water? So we have a reference to what happens uh, to the believer by the Word of God. Just like the vine is washed by soap and water in that culture, You are washed by the Word of God. You are clean through the Word. In John 17, Jesus says, Sanctify them through Thy truth. Set them apart through Thy truth. Thy Word is truth. Say hallelujah to the Lamb. John 13, which brings me to the title of the message tonight. Christ our example is the title of the message. Christ our example. Everybody remembers this story. In John 13 and verse 3, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands and that He was come from God and went to God, He riseth from supper and laid aside His garments and took a towel and girded Himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, say feet, and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, 
Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith unto him, said to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and you are clean, but not all. If you've already been baptized in Jesus' name, we don't have to rebaptize you. What you need is the washing of your hands and the washing of your feet. Because you've got defiled walking in this world. Since Sunday night, we preached the bull in the net. Since Sunday night, in the last few days and few hours of your life, you have been defiled by this world. And when you come in here, you are getting your hands and your feet washed by the Word of God. You're getting cleansed and all that defilement is removed from your life and mine. Amen. Thank God for that. But I don't have to get rebaptized every time I come to church. I just need the Word of God to cleanse me. Somebody say praise the Lord. Verse 10, again, Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And you are clean, but not all. He's talking about Judas Iscariot. He said, there's one of you in the midst of us that is not clean. Now, I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. If I have ever said to you that Jesus washed Judas' feet, I personally believe that that was error. Because he makes a statement here. He talks about the disciples and he has washed their feet, but he says not every one of them. I believe that Jesus Christ did not wash Judas Iscariot's feet. He says it right there in the verse. You understand? He washed the other's feet, but he did not wash Judas Iscariot's feet. You understand what I'm saying to you? Now you can disagree with me if you want to. Amen. I'm up here teaching the Word of God and I'm preaching it to you, but I'm not saying you have to believe our word I say. You get the Word of God for yourself and you study the Word of God for yourself and you find out if what I am telling you is the truth. You don't have to believe what I say. Amen. But you have to believe what the Word of God says. That's right. You have to believe. And I have to believe what the Word of God says. It doesn't matter if it goes against your preconceived ideas or your denomination or what you think. You have to line up with the Word of God. You know why? Because you are a bibliocentric believer. That means that your experience lines up with the Word of God. We're not Christocentric believers. That means that the Word of God lines up with our experience. We don't believe that everybody's experience is the same. Somebody would say, my experience is just as good as your experience. If it doesn't line up with the Word of God, it's not as good. That's a Christocentric believer. That my experience is just as good as your experience. Amen? No, I'm a bibliocentric believer. That means my experience lines up with the Bible. And if my experience doesn't line up with the Bible, then my experience is not right. So I'm telling you tonight, if you don't believe what I'm preaching to you, Amen? Uh, you don't have to believe what I'm saying, but you have to believe that Bible. So Jesus says right here, look at it. Verse 10, Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed, neither not save, to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. 
for he knew who should betray him. Therefore he said, you are not all clean. That right there explains to you that Judas Iscariot was not clean. Are y'all here tonight? Let the Bible interpret itself. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then your Lord and Master have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Christ our example. Do you understand today that when you come to church and you hear the Word of God preached, you are being cleansed? John 15. Do you understand that when you come in this church tonight and you minister to each other, you are fulfilling that Scripture? Yes, I do believe in foot washing, old time foot washing. We haven't done it in a while. We probably need to. Jesus said, I've given you an example that you do what I've done. He got down. He's the Lord of heaven. And he got down and he washed the disciples' feet. And he said, I have given you an example. Christ our example. That the feet need to be cleansed. So now we come to another aspect of this labor. And the aspect of this labor is this. Is that when you and I minister to each other, we are doing as Jesus did. We're taking upon the form of a servant. Body ministry is also seen in that labor. Now you might wash each other's feet and hate each other. But you can't hate each other if you minister to each other and you help each other and you love each other. Say praise the Lord. And if you stop talking about each other and you stop fussing and you stop fighting and you stop biting and devouring one another. When you do that, when you minister to each other, and we're not just talking about literal foot washing. We're talking about body ministry. He said, I took upon the form of a servant and I'm ministering to my own disciples. When you do that, you're fulfilling that passage right there of body ministry. Say praise the Lord today in this house. But he said, I've given you an example. Now let me back up with this thing. The first one we read in Exodus 29 and verse 4, we saw that they took at the door of the tabernacle, they pitched that booth, and they washed them from the head to toe. Notice they didn't wash themselves. Exodus 29 verse 4. It tells us that somebody else washed them. You can't baptize yourself. You need somebody to baptize you in the name of Jesus. You need somebody to bury you. In water in the name of Jesus. Say praise the Lord. They didn't wash themselves. Not in Exodus 29.4. Somebody else washed them. Hallelujah. But in Exodus chapter 30. When they washed their hands and their feet. They did that themselves. And that's when you come to church yourself. Or you get in the word of God yourself. And you cleanse yourself of all that defilement. That you picked up in the world. Hallelujah. And when you come here tonight and you hear the Word of God, this is a mirror. That's the brass mirror. It's the reflective device of God. And He holds that reflective device up to you and to me. And we walk in here, we might really think we're something special. 
But that Bible is always going to show you and I who we really are. And sometimes we don't want to admit that we've got some dirt. Sometimes we don't want to admit that we've got some problems. We, we want to come in here and act like everything's wonderful. But when the Word of God, the reflective device of God Almighty, is held up in front of us, we see the pill, we see the defilement, we see the shortcomings, and, and it doesn't make us feel good at times. But when we see it, if we'll confess, yeah, Lord, I'm defiled here, I've got a blotch here, I've got... I've got a mess here. I've got a mess there. And I don't really want people to know. I want to put on a good front. I want to put on a good show. But God says, I'm looking on the heart. I'm looking in the inward part of you. Not on the outward part of you. What you think looks good. He said, but I know what's on, on the inside of you. And what's on the inside of you is not always very nice. It's not, ever, it's not always very good. So God comes in here and He shows you with His reflective device, the Word of God, who we really are. And once we see that, then we confess, we repent of the sin and get it under the blood of Jesus. And, and we walk out cleansed by the Word of God. Praise the Lord. If you believe the Word of God, say amen. amen. Now how did Jesus fulfill the first part? Because He is the true tabernacle. He is our example. There came a time in the life of Jesus... To enter in the priesthood, you had to be 30 years of age. And at 30 years of age, Jesus got up that morning. And Mary knew that day that she was going to lose him. She saw him put on his clothes. Saw him walk out of their house that day. As he was traveling down the road, he may have turned and waved at his mother. And as he disappeared on his way to the River Jordan, Mary fell on her face and began to cry. Because she knew that Jesus was going at 30 years of age, going to enter into the fulfillment of type at 30 years of age he was going to enter into the priesthood now you need to understand something there are things about the life of Jesus in his earthly walk that are fulfilled in the Levitical priesthood his priesthood was a priesthood after the order of Melchizedek but much of his earthly ministry was typified by the Levitical priesthood you hear what I'm saying? So at age 30, he made his way to the River Jordan. And there John was baptizing there at Beth Arba. Beth Arba means the house of passage. It was the same place that Joshua in the Old Testament crossed over with the people of Israel. The house of passage. And when Joshua went through the river Jordan. The Bible says, God told him, this day will I magnify you in the eyes of the people. Jesus went, fulfilling that type and shadow of the first Joshua as the true Joshua, the true Yeshua. He went to Beth Arba, the very place 
where they crossed over into the promised land. And John was baptizing there. The scripture tells us, and when Jesus appears that day, he looks up and he says, and I'm speaking of John, he says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. It's the greatest announcement that has ever been made to, to man. Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Jesus walks up to him and tells him that he wishes to be baptized. And John says, because he knows that this is the Lamb of God, he says, I have need to be baptized of you. He answers the request of Jesus, and Jesus is baptized in water. Why is Jesus being baptized at age 30 in water? He's not like every man. He's not like every woman. He's not being baptized for the remission of sins. He's being baptized there in order to enter into the priesthood or to fulfill Exodus 29 and verse 4. And the Bible says when he comes out of the water, the spirit like a dove descends upon him. Somebody said that's when he received the Holy Ghost. No. Jesus didn't receive the Holy Ghost. He is the Holy Ghost embodied. He's the Spirit of God embodied. He didn't receive the Holy Ghost like you and I did. But there was a descending of the Spirit of God in bodily form to be a testimony to John the Baptist that he is the Messiah of, of God. The Christ of God is here. The Messiah is here. And it was a sign to John the Baptist. John chapter 3 says that. And so John, Jesus said, it wasn't for remission of sins. He said it is to do what? To fulfill all righteousness. He is our example. Are y'all here today? When you and I go down in water baptism in Jesus' name, it's for the remission of sins. But in his case, he didn't need remission of sins. But he is fulfilling the type and the shadow there. Are y'all here? And right after he's baptized, the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord leads him into the wilderness. And there he prays and he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. And after praying 40 days and 40 nights, he enters into that earthly ministry. He comes in the power of the Spirit after a time of prayer and fasting. And that's after that is when he did his first miracle, turning the water into wine. Say praise the Lord in the house. Aren't you thankful today for the Word of God? That Jesus fulfilled all righteousness. And, and so that's why he was baptized. Hallelujah to the Lamb. I love him today. I thank God for what I receive. When I'm water baptized in Jesus' name, according to Acts 2.38, it's for the remission of sins. It washes my sin away. And then the Word of God cleanses me on a daily basis. And as we minister to each other in body ministry, it's also a cleansing operation that takes place. If you believe that, say amen tonight. Say thank God for it. What do you get when you get the blood applied? 
when you repent of your sins and then you go and you're baptized in Jesus' name, you do realize that blood was applied to that labor. Blood was applied to this labor. Blood was applied to every piece of furniture. You understand that when that priest, that tent was pitched and they watched him from head to toe, you realize they also poured oil all over the top of him. After he was baptized, oil flowed down his beard onto his garments, down to the hem of the garment. So when Jesus was water baptized as an example for us, as he enters into the ministry, what happens? We have the, the anti-type of the type, the fulfillment of the type. In the Old Testament, they poured oil on the priest and we have this spirit. He didn't receive the spirit, but we have this anointing that is seen in bodily form. Give God praise as a fulfillment of it. That oil flowed down the beard of the priest. Speaks of headship. It flowed down to the garments. Speaks of leadership in the church. It flowed down all the way to the body, down to the hems of the garment. That speaks of fellowship. Headship, leadership, fellowship. That's the way God comes. Say praise the Lord. And when they anointed there was absolutely no oil that touched his flesh. It touched his head, his beard, and his garments after he was cleansed. Say praise the Lord tonight. So what do you experience when you go to that altar of repentance and then you go to that labor? According to Acts 2.38, you experience remission of sins. It prepares you to enter into the presence of God and be filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. But until you repent of your sins, you can never receive the Holy Ghost. You might receive the Holy Ghost before baptism or after baptism, but it's preparing you for the presence of God. If you believe that, say amen. So what did you experience when you experienced the blood and the cleansing? You experience remission of sins. You also experience justification and sanctification. Say justification and sanctification. Remission of sins, justification, and sanctification. Access to God. Say praise the Lord. So once the priest made it, the altar, the labor, now they had access to God. It's all laid out typically. In John 15, Jesus said, You in me, and I in you. You in me, and I in you. Jesus said, You in me, that's justification. Justification. You in me, that's when God deals with your past. Blots out the sin of your past. That's justification. And sanctification is I in you. God comes inside of you. His Spirit comes inside of you. You receive the Holy Ghost. And on the inside, the Spirit of God gives you a new nature to deal with all that defilement that's on the inside of you. Justification is you and Him. Sanctification is I in you. And that's when God deals with the, helps us deal with the defilement on the inside of us. Say, praise the Lord. 
You have an angel tonight, a guardian angel that protects your physical body. But you have the Holy Ghost on the inside of you to guard your spiritual man. So Jesus said, you in me and I in you, justification and sanctification, access to God. When you experience that, when God blots out your past, and prepares you for your future. When he does that for you. And he comes and lives on the inside of you. Fills you with his spirit. You lose all inferiority complex. The only way that a man can. Have access to God. Come into his presence. Without an inferior, inferiority complex. Is if he's got deity living in him. To come in the presence of deity without deity in you is to have an inferiority complex. You think about what I said. So Jesus said, you in me and I in you. It will remove that inferiority complex so that you'll have remission of sins, justification and sanctification and access in the presence of God. And when you stand in God's presence, you stand uncondemned. You stand without an inferiority complex. Because you have repented and you've been to that labor water basin and had all your sins washed away. Hallelujah. And now you come into his presence boldly. You have access into the very presence of God. And his name is Jesus Christ. But they couldn't go in the presence of God without that altar and without that labor. Are you thankful for God's provision today? You look at the religions of the world today, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. I thank God for helping me. You look at them. There are some religions that have over 3,300,000 gods. And one supreme god is named Burma. Does anybody know what religion that would be? Hinduism. Three million, three hundred thousand little gods. And that individual will never come into the presence of the supreme God called Burma. No man, no woman will ever come into the presence of that so-called God. You know what they do? They have shops or buffer, buffer zones to get to Burma. Why? Because they're afraid. They have an inferiority complex. So they'll pray to a little God. 3,300,000 little gods on the way to Burma. Pray to this little God, and this little God is supposed to go to another God, and that God's supposed to go to another God, and that God's supposed to go take that prayer to another God, and that person never gets to the supreme deity because of their inferiority complex. And you say, wow, pastor, what does that have to do with us? I will tell you this right now. There are some people who pray to dead saints. You know why they do that? They need a buffer zone. They need a shock. They need something in between them and the supreme God. So they'll pray to a dead saint. Are y'all here? Or they'll pray to Mary. Are y'all here tonight? If you are, say praise the Lord. 
I'm really going to probably mess somebody up tonight, but I'm going to say it anyway. There are some other people today who will not admit it, but they have the same pagan mindset as the Hindu does. What are you doing, man? Here, take the box. You realize you're, you're interrupting the whole service? Here, take the box. Hallelujah. Say praise the Lord. They will do the same thing that the Hindu does. You know how they do it? Because they believe in three gods. They believe you've got to pray to God to the Holy Ghost to get to God the Son. And then you pray to God the Son to get to the Supreme God. Let me tell you, there's a people in this world today that don't have to do that because we know that Jesus Christ is the one and only true God. We don't need a buffer zone. We don't need a shock to get to Him. It's by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that we have access to God. And when we stand in His presence, there is no inferiority complex with us. Can you imagine tonight you are standing in the very presence of God Himself? You didn't need a lesser God to get you in the presence of the Supreme God. Say praise the Lord tonight in this house. If you love the Lord, worship Him. So once they washed this labor, that living water would be flowing out, I believe, of the spigot. They're clean now. Their hands are clean. Their feet are clean. They've already been baptized typically once in their life. And so now as priests, they could go in the very presence of God, typically justified, typically sanctified typically had an access to God, but really did have the access to God. The high holy of holies, only one, the high priest, could go in there. But he had to wash the same as everybody else. Let me tell you, everybody in the world, without exception, must repent of their sins, and without exception, they must go to that labor, and they must have their sins remitted in water in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the blood is in the name of Jesus I've got a question for you tonight. What kind of water was in that labor? Where did they get this water in that, that they put in that labor? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Look at it. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. See, Moses is the type of the Redeemer. And the Bible says those people were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the spirit, the sea. That's spirit baptism and that's water baptism in the sea. Give God praise. Baptize. Baptize in water unto your Redeemer, Jesus Christ. The book of Exodus is the book of, of redemption. But let's keep reading. And did all eat that same spiritual meat? And did all drink the same spiritual drink? For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. They got the water from the rock. 
and the rock was Christ. So typically, this is Jesus' name, water. No wonder on the day of Pentecost, the, apostle, the disciples said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It was typified by that water. That water, they got it out of that rock, and that rock was Christ. That Jesus' name, water. Well, Pastor, you really make a big deal of this Jesus' name. There's no other name given among men whereby you must be saved. It's the only name given among men whereby we must be saved. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are titles. I know the name of Him. He is Jesus. Jesus, Yeshua, which means Yahweh has become my salvation. He's God. He's the Lord. Come in flesh. So tonight I'm thankful that I've been baptized in Jesus' name, water. As I come to a close, I will tell you there were two things from the Old Testament that were brought over into the New Testament that were made spiritual in this sense. Okay? Carefully. There are a lot of things that the natural precede the spiritual. There are a lot of things like that, but this, listen to me carefully. Two things from the Old Testament that brought over into the New. One of them was when Jesus was with his disciples when he had the Passover meal. That night that Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples, he celebrated another meal, a new meal. It's called the Lord's Supper. Using the same bread and the same wine. So he carried the old into the new. He took the old bread in his hands, the Passover. And when he took it in his hands, the old bread became new bread. And he called it a new covenant meal. It's called the Lord's Supper. Hallelujah to the Lamb. But there's another thing of the Old Testament that Jesus carried over into the New Testament. And it was circumcision. We already covered this Sunday morning, what makes a true Jew. It's not the outward cutting of the flesh that makes a true Jew. It's one inwardly, hallelujah to the Lamb, inwardly. You've been regenerated on the inside. You're a worshiper of God, spirited and true. You're a covenant-keeping man and woman. You've been called by the name of deity over you. But he carried that circumcision over into the New Testament. Circumcision is now water baptism in Jesus' name. If you go to Colossians chapter 2, we're at the label tonight. In Colossians chapter 2, you will see I'm sure that some of you are familiar with this little book I've made reference to. It's called the Arco volume. I cannot Verify the validity of it one way or the other. But one of the reasons why they said that the Jew, the leaders of the Jews took Jesus and crucified him was because he sought to change physical circumcision to water baptism. 
called the Arco Garden. Colossians chapter 2, if you're there, say praise the Lord. The second thing that is carried from the Old Testament into the New. Beginning with verse 8. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. It doesn't say that he dwells in the Godhead. The Bible says the Godhead dwells in him. All the fullness of the Godhead dwells in him. And you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. He said it's not a physical thing. It's an operation of God. It's something that happens on the inside in your heart. It's not the outward physical cutting of the flesh. He says it's an operation of God. It's when God goes in and does a work inside of your heart. Hallelujah. Give God praise in the house. He goes on and explains. Now, the Old Testament type fulfilled an anti-type. Are you glad you love the Lord tonight knowing? In whom you are also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. How do you do it? Buried with Him. It doesn't say buried with them. It says buried with Him because all the fullness of the Godhead is in Him. So when you get baptized in Jesus' name, you get baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost because all the fullness is in Him. So we're buried with Him. He's the one that died on the cross for us. And that's New Testament circumcision. Buried with Him in what? In baptism. Wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. God does an operation on the inside of you, inside of your hearts. And ye being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinance that was against us which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Say, praise the Lord. That's why you don't have an inferiority complex. Because God did an operation on the inside of your heart. He circumcised your inward being and cut that flesh, the power of sin in your life. In His precious name. If you love him, say amen. So now, New Testament circumcision is water baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are what? Buried with him. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. I will say this to you tonight. The problem with many of our baptisms is we bury living people. You don't bury people who are alive. 
You don't bury people that are in rebellion. You don't bury people that are alive to themselves. You bury people that have died. They have repented of their sins. You bury dead people, not people that are alive. And if you haven't really repented of your sin, you haven't died out at the altar of repentance, and we baptize you in Jesus' name, and you're still alive, what good did it do you? You have to be willing to go to an altar and die on that altar, repent at that altar, surrender completely to the Lord, and then you're ready for the labor because you died to yourself. And you've said yes to the Lord. I want to live for you. Now I'm ready to be buried because I'm a dead man. And I'm ready to rise and walk in newness of life. I'm not going back to the old life, to the old sins, to my old ways. I'm repenting. I'm a dead man. And I've been buried with Christ in baptism. And when I came out of that water, it's like coming out of the grave with Jesus Christ. I pray to God there's nobody in here that we baptized that was alive when we did. I pray everyone that we baptized in this church, including this pastor, was dead when we buried you. That means you repented. If that's you, lift your hands and give God praise. Go to Romans 6. I'm coming to a close. Romans 6, verses 1 through 3, Paul says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? I had some guests here uh, Sunday morning. That when I said the, great, the message of grace that's preached in America is a false doctrine, got up and left. They should have stayed for the whole service. A grace that preaches that you can continue to live in sin is not biblical grace. It's heresy. Say amen. What does the grace of God teach? It doesn't teach that you can do whatever you want to do. It doesn't teach that you can be lawless or that you can be covenant breakers. It doesn't exempt you from the law of God, the commandments of God, His moral law. Are you kidding me? That's a false grace that's preached in America. That says the law is no longer for us today. It doesn't condemn us if, it, if we're under the blood. But the law of God is the mirror, the reflecting device of God that shows you your sin. Say praise the Lord. We've been delivered from the condemnation of the law. But that law is still in place. That moral law of God. I give God praise for it. The Bible says the grace of God teaches you. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul says it emphatically. God forbid. Paul was not a lawless man. He said God forbid. Sin is transgression of the law. You see, if you have the grace of God and that allows you to transgress His law, He said, God forbid. Say holiness. 
how should we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know you not? Oh, say, know you not. Look your neighbor and help me preach. Say, know you not. See, this is something the devil doesn't want you to know. Paul said, no, you're not. Say, no, you're not. He says in another place, he said, no, you're not, that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. He said, there's something that you need to know. And something the devil doesn't want you to know. But something that God does want you to know. And something that you need to know. It's vitally important for you to know. Did you hear what I said? The devil doesn't want you to know this. God wants you to know it. And it's needful and necessary that you do know it. Know ye not. Here we go. That so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ. Were baptized into his death. You identified with his death. Burial and resurrection. And you're water baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Know you not. It's very important for you to know this. Say praise God. Say amen. Now I'm going to go with the Bible. The Bible says it's necessary and needful for you to know that. That's how you experience New Testament circumcision. Had his name called over. You know in the Old Testament when you enter into covenant with God, the high priest pronounced the name of Yahweh over the covenant person that was coming into covenant. And in the New Testament, the same way, when you're water baptized in the Jesus' name, experience New Testament circumcision, the name of deity is called over you as you enter into covenant with God Almighty. Know ye not. The devil doesn't want you to know it. Say praise the Lord. Back up to Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5, Leading into Romans 6, you will find two inheritances recorded. One is the inheritance you received in the first Adam. The second inheritance, or the next inheritance that Romans makes reference to, is your inheritance in the last Adam. Now listen to me carefully. Why it's so vitally important that you understand and that you know what baptism does for you is because you and I used to be a part of an old brotherhood in Adam, the first Adam. Say an old brotherhood. Those people that crucified Jesus on the cross were a part of the old brotherhood of that first Adam. And everybody in this church, including this pastor at one time, was a part of that old brotherhood in that first Adam. You were a part of the old camp. You were a part of the inheritance of the first Adam. You must get out of that old brotherhood. You must get out of that old camp. You must get out of that old inheritance. Because the Bible says in Adam, the first one, all died. How do you get out of that old camp, that old inheritance? And that old brotherhood in that first Adam. Galatians 3, keep your place in Romans 5. Now, I've, I've behaved myself tonight. 
because y'all behave yours. I've been real quiet because you've been real quiet. That's the way you want it. That's the way you get it. Galatians chapter 3. Let's turn there. Now keep your place in Romans 5, and I'll come back to that. Galatians 3. Say we praise the Lord. Galatians 3.26. For ye are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as of you as have been baptized, been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. So when you were water baptized and filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you entered into Christ the last when you did that, you came out. How did you get out of the old brotherhood, the old camp, that old inheritance? When you were water baptized in Jesus' name. Amen. You put on Christ. You came out of the old brotherhood into a new brotherhood. You came out of an old creation into a new creation. You came out of an old inheritance into a new inheritance. You went through the judgments of God and came up on the other side of the judgments of God just like Noah did in the ark. When the water came and cleansed the earth of all the sinners. So when you were water baptized in Jesus name, you went right through the judgments of God, came out on the other side in a brand new family, the family of God in a brand new camp, a brand new creation, a brand new inheritance. Give God praise. That's how you got out of the old and into the new. Romans chapter 5. We'll come to that in a moment. I'm not done. Let's go to Genesis 5 and 2. That old creation. Do you realize in that old creation, before the fall of man, everybody in the world had one name. One name. Before the fall. Genesis 5 and verse 2. If you love the Lord, say praise the Lord. See, I've already taught you that what was lost in Adam has been restored in the last Adam, Jesus Christ. Genesis 5 and verse 2. <coughs> this is the book. I'll go with verse 1 first. It's the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man in the likeness of God, may he him. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam. In the day when they were created. God takes you in this passage back before the fall of man. In that old creation time. And he says there was a time before the fall of man that everybody on planet earth had one name. Even Eve's name was Adam. It was Mr. and Miss Adam. Mr. and Mrs. Adam, I should say. Yeah, 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 so. It wasn't until after the fall of man 
that Adam's wife's name became Eve, the mother of all living. But before the fall of man, everybody had one name. Ephesians 3.15 in the New Testament. You know who the new Eve is today? It's not Mary, the Virgin Mary. It's the church of the living God. You are the wife, the bride of Jesus Christ. It came of his, out of his side when he, out of his side flowed blood and water. When he was put to sleep, the church came out of his side. Ephesians 3.15. Are you doing all right out there? God bless your heart. Let's start with verse 14. For this cause I bow my knee unto the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. When did you get that one name? That's the name of the family of God. When you were baptized in water in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's when you got the name of Jesus. And there's one name for the family of God. And that is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're in a brand new family. Hallelujah. If you love the Lord, give God praise. Jesus name. Let me show you something else that. Baptism does for you. According to Acts 2.38, that's when you receive the name. Acts 2.38, the baptism. Okay, let's go to Acts, uh, Deuteronomy 10, please. I've already told you that New Testament circumcision, water baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you get baptized in Jesus' name, it is the annulling of all self-righteousness. The annulling of all self-righteousness. Deuteronomy 10, 16. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no more stiff-necked. Don't walk around self-righteous like you've got it all together. When, he says when you're circumcised, and that circumcision is a circumcision of the heart, not of the hand, something that happens on the inside of you, like Paul is preaching in Colossians 2, he says it removes all of your self-righteousness. There's nobody in this church that should be walking in self-righteousness when you come in here. Your baptism annulled that self-righteousness because you have been circumcised in the inward part, not the cutting of the flesh but an inward circumcision. It annuls self-righteousness. It puts you in the family of God. It takes you beyond the judgment, or through the judgments of God to the other side. Puts you in a new creation. A new society. New inheritance. Let's close with Romans 5. You will see Paul compares the two inheritance, the first and the first Adam, this, the other inheritance that you find in the last Adam. Notice I said the last Adam. Jesus is the second man. 
but he's the last Adam. He's the last federal head representative of mankind. He's not the second Adam. He's the last Adam. The last federal head. When you got baptized in Jesus' name, you came up underneath a new federal head, a new Adam. The last Adam, Jesus Christ. Look at what he says. Let's start with verse 12. Here's what you received in the first Adam, the old man. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over all them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. If you want to know what Jesus Christ looked like, and let me put it this way, if you want to know what the first Adam looked like, he looked exactly like Jesus Christ. Because the, the first Adam was a figure of him that was to come. You understand? Verse 15, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. That's the inheritance in Jesus Christ. And not as it were by one that sinned. Okay, that's the inheritance in the first Adam. Here's the inheritance in the last Adam. So is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, first Adam. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. That's the last Adam. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, that is the first Adam, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. That's the last Adam. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. That's the first Adam. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. That's the last Adam. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. That's the first Adam. So by the obedience of one shall be many be made righteous. That's the last Adam. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abound, did grace did that much more, did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. You're in a brand new creation, a brand new family. You have a brand new inheritance. You're in a brand new camp. Having experienced the new birth, having put on Christ when you were water baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come out of that first Adam. Come out of that first camp. Come out of that holy creation. Come out of that uh, first inheritance. Come out of it. And enter into Christ Jesus. In Acts 2.38, I close with this. Lord, I love you tonight and I thank you for your goodness and your mercy. On the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up and he preached. 
the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the gospel. And then he told those Jews that day how to apply what Jesus did on that cross. He said to them, after they asked the question, what must we do to be saved? Or what shall we do? Are you here today? Verse 37, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promises unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And he's still calling today. That means it's that Acts 2.30 is still for, 38 is still for us today. And with many other words that he testified and exhort saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Come out of that old creation. He told the same thing in Acts chapter 8, 12 through 17 to the Samaritans. He said the same thing in Acts 10, 43 through 48 to the Gentiles. He said the same thing in Acts 19, 1 through 7 to people who were believers but did not have all of the truth. I thank God today for that flavor water basin. He's got a bride that has taken his name. He's got a bride that has had her sins washed away in cleansed. He's got a priesthood. Baptism and repentance came to the presence of God with hands lifted up in praise and worship. And when they did, they started speaking with other tongues that the Spirit gave the utterance. It's all laid out in the tabernacle of Moses. If you love the Lord and you thank God for what He has done for you, will you stand tonight in this house? Amen. See those priests ministering there at that labor. There it is, depicted by one photograph is looking like that. Pedestal labor there. No dimensions given because the power to cleanse cannot be measured. Not say, not, it was not said in Numbers 4 that it was covered. That means it was open for all. Whosoever will, let him come. In the Kings, the Bible says when the temple was built, there were ten of those labors that were built. Five on each side. And those ten labors were used to wash the sacrifices with. But in the courtyard, in the middle of the courtyard, was a huge brass sea that had 12 oxen underneath it. And King says it had 2,000 baths of water. 2,000 baths of water. Let me show it to you. First Kings. The importance of it, no dimensions given in the tabernacle of Moses, but the importance of it is seen the temple of Solomon. The size and dimensions are given there. In 1 Kings 
chapter 7 and verse 26. This huge molten sea with 12 oxen underneath it. Five labors on each side of it. The labors on each side was to wash the sacrifices, but this molten sea was for the washing of the priest. It was so large. 726 of 1 Kings, and it was in hand breadth thick. It was about three inches thick. And the brim thereof was wrought like the brim of a cup with flowers of lilies. It contained 2,000 baths. 2,000 baths. 2,000 points to the church age. But I want you to notice something if you go to 2 Chronicles 4 and 5. In 2 Chronicles 4 and verse 5, It gives us, the, or gives us the amount of water that was in that. 2 Chronicles 4, 5, and the thickness of it was in hand breadth, same thickness, and the brim of it, like the work of the brim of a cup, with flowers of lilies, and it received and held 3,000 baths. In 1 Kings 7, it says 2,000 baths. That's the church age. In 2 Chronicles 4 and 5, it says 3,000 baths. It doesn't mean they made the, the labor bigger. It means it held what, times 2,000? What, times 3,000 baths of water. 3,000 baths of water is 25,500 gallons of water. To show you the significance of the water of regeneration. 2,000 of the church age, and when you get to this point, it's 3,000. That means you've now moved into the fullness of the kingdom of God. That means the work that was needed, the cleansing that was needed in the church age, 2,000, was done. And when you get in the kingdom, you have the fullness of the kingdom. 2,000 years for the church age, 1,000 years for the kingdom age, a total of 3,000, the fullness of the kingdom in the church age, the labor did its work and prepared you for the fullness of the kingdom. Revelation. We see there in the book of Ultimates, Verse 6 of 4, Revelation 4 and verse 6. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. So now that labor is seen in the book of Revelation as a crystal. In Revelation chapter 15, the Bible says, the saints are walking on the top of it. When you get to heaven, there's no need for that labor. What we have is the perfection of the saints standing on the sea of glass in the book of Revelation, having had their sins cleansed in, in the church age. 
No need to be washed when we get there. The perfection of the saints will be seen standing on a sea of glass. And no more need for the Word of God to purify you any longer. The Word of God will not cease to exist, but it will not need to purify you anymore when you get there. That's why it's a sea of glass, crystal. It's not called the labor. It's not called the molten sea. It's called the sea of glass. The saints of God are perfected standing upon it because the work of a labor did its job. Let's lift our hands and give God praise. Lord, we love you today. We give you praise and glory. Hallelujah, Jesus, tonight. If you're thankful tonight that you are in the priesthood, if you're thankful tonight that you're in the bride, if you're thankful that you've been cleansed in water in Jesus' name, just love Him and thank Him and praise Him and worship Him. You are standing in the presence of God tonight without inferiority. Isaiah, when he came to the presence of the Lord, he said, Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. When he came to the presence of God, he was full of inferiority. The cold touched his lips and cleansed and purified him. Tonight, you have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. As I told you, blood was applied to that labor. In Hebrews 9.22, the Lord is remembering, reminding me of this verse, Hebrews 9.22. You're no longer feel inferior or condemned. Your sins have been put under the blood. <laughs> like one man said, the Bible says, it talked about he cast, cast our sins into the depths of the sea. We know that's the Bible. Cast our sins in the depths of the sea, never to be remembered anymore again against us. You know what my mentor said, Brother Dye said? He said, when God took my sin and cast him into the depths of the sea, he put a big old sign up right there that says, no fishing allowed, polluted water. Polluted water. No fishing allowed. Hallelujah. Give God praise in this house. My sins have been cast into the depths of the sea. No fishing allowed. Hallelujah. You're not going to be able to fish out my sin. It's in the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, some of you have been baptized in your name, but you've got some gunk on you right now. You've got something wrong in your spirit. Something's not right in your heart. You need to let the Word of God cleanse you right now from head to toe. Before you leave this place, you need to get yourself right with God Almighty. And He's made that provision. For you and I tonight. Hebrews 9, 22. I'm already clean. Not my own ability, but the Word of God. Hebrews 9, 22. I'm going to leave this house today victorious. I'm going to leave this. And the Lord's not going to stay here. He's going to go with you. And you're not going to feel inferior. Hebrews 9, 22. You there? Is that in the New Testament or the Old? Yeah. Only the New Testament. Okay. Are you there? The book of Hebrews is the New Testament commentary on the Old Testament. Hebrews 9.22 And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without the shedding of blood is no remission. 
Acts 2 38 says, When you baptize in Jesus' name, it's for the remission of sins. That means the blood mingles with the water and removes your sin. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. That means even the pattern had blood applied to it as a piece of furniture. Are you glad today for the remission of sins? Water doesn't remit them, but water mingled with blood. And the blood is found in the name, Acts 5.28, of Jesus Christ. Father God, today I just pray for this congregation. I pray that you will give them the revelation of the truth of your words. Is there anybody here tonight that is thankful enough to even worship God for the truth? I'm not going to prod you. If I've got to ask you to do that, we just need to go home. After all that He's done for us, to have access into the presence of God Almighty because of His precious blood that was shed for you. It's something the enemy doesn't want you to know. Hallelujah. Amen. Father God, I thank you tonight for the word that has come and cleansed us once again, our hands and our feet. It's taken the blemishes and the blotches and the filth out of us. Thank you for body ministry. If there be any here tonight, people that will love each other, people that will minister to each other and fulfill the example of Christ. And everybody said in Jesus' name. Say thank you, Lord, for the example of Christ. Hallelujah. Shout one more time. Woo. Glory, 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 glory. Okay, tonight is...